invite you to get your Bibles, and we're going we're gonna to look at something in one of the minor prophets. Just get your Bible and just hold it. There's one in front of you. If you would like one, there's loads around the church at the back. Just get it and just hold the Word of God in your hands. This is a mighty thing. Ask God now to prepare your heart to receive the word. Ask God to speak to you. Through the scriptures. These are a tremendous gift to us. They are our life and hope. And so, Father, we offer to you, Lord, our lives as we once again open up Scripture, knowing, Lord, that we need safety helmets and seatbelts, but knowing also, Lord, as we have already seen this morning, Lord, that you are a God of everlasting mercy. You love your people. And so, Father, I pray that we would hear your word this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What we're going to look at is a very well-known verse or a few verses from Micah chapter 6. Some of you are already saying it because you know what it is. <laughs> it comes in the midst of a whole pile of judgments. And God is absolutely perplexed and bewildered by the response of his people once again. Doing what should not be done, doing the impossible, going in a particular direction. So Micah chapter 6, starting at verse 6. If anyone has a church Bible, can you shout out the page number? 934. Thank you, Audrey. Chapter 6, verse 6. This is God speaking now. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the, uh, before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and with thousand, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He's shown you. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And the very next word is listen. I am, um, once again, I didn't know my parents were visiting this morning, so I'm beginning with if anyone here has ever been told to tidy their room. <laughs> I didn't know they were going to be here. Anyone? You've been told to tidy your room when you were hopefully not too much when you were an adult. We grow out of those habits. Was anyone told to listen and obey your teacher or a policeman or a member in anybody who was in authority or whatever it might be? What about the headmaster? Richard, what did I tell you? <laughs> how many times have I heard that? Well, if you can't remember, sir, how do you expect me to? <laughs> you know Spike Milligan's last words. I told you I was ill. 
Or more darkly, we remember Adolf Eichmann's defense when he was charged with masterminding the Holocaust. We were just following orders. In other words, we were doing as we were told, telling, right? There's something about being told, for good or bad, that this passage of Scripture and Scripture in general is calling us to bear in mind. Sometimes we follow the instructions to the letter when we are told what to do. There was an account of two hunters who were out in the woods when one of them falls to the ground suddenly without sound or movement, and he didn't appear to be breathing, and his eyes had rolled back in his head. The other hunter was panicked and so whipped out his mobile phone and calls 999. With frantic gasps, he says to the operator, I think my friend is dead. What can I do? In a calm, soothing voice, the operator replied, Take it easy. I can help. First, let's make sure that he's dead. And so there was no reply from the, other, from the hunter. But the operator on the line heard footsteps, followed by a silence, followed by a loud gunshot, shattering the silence. Then came more footsteps back to the phone, followed by the guy picking up the phone and saying, okay, he's dead, now what? <laughs> Sometimes we do what we are told at our peril. Sometimes we don't do what we are told at our peril. How to work out the difference. The prophets, Micah is one, powerful mid-8th century BC prophet. The prophets are God's law enforcers, God's policemen, reminding the people what God has told them already. They're not saying anything new. They're just restating God's law, God's covenant, the promise that God has made to his people. They come along and they restate it. That's all they do. They tell the people what God has already said. They don't invent the law. They don't make up the rules. They just repeat back what God has said. Now, the prophet Micah was about 750 BC. He is a contemporary of uh, the prophet Isaiah and probably the prophet Amos. They may have known or met each other. They may not have met. And God's covenant people are in a right old state of sin here. And so the prophet is sent. The prophet is always sent into a disobedient context. Get that. Wherever there is a prophet of God, it is within and to a disobedient context. Every single time. And so the prophet brings God's word, which highlights the problem, injustice, oppression, wickedness, idolatry. They're all magnified under God's searching gaze of his holy eyes. This was 750 BC. This is 2,750 years ago. Oppression, injustice, wickedness, and idolatry. Thank goodness we've learned those lessons, eh? We can all go home. Amen and hallelujah. And as the prophets announce, what they're really announcing is what, is what I've called obvious news. It's obvious. When you break what God has told you not to break, then you will hear the obvious from the prophets. That's essentially what it is. And 
within this stating the obvious, we get glimpses of hope all the way through the prophets. There's always a glimmer of hope. And sometimes we read a prophet, and it's chapter after chapter after chapter of judgment. And we're like, God, what, what is the, where is the hope? When will it come? But actually, often tagged on at the end of a prophetic book, you see a little few verses of hope. Because that's God's heart, always to be a bearer of hope for us. Okay, so, so there's judgment. And when there's judgment rolling off the pages of the prophets, and we'd better pay attention to this, we notice there's also redemption. Because God's judgment is always redemptive. God is always seeking to restore. Because that's his heart. Chapter 4 talks of God's house being restored and the famous line of swords being turned into plowshares uh, talks of God's everlasting reign that will eventually come. And it's in this context of these cycles of hope and of judgment and of hope and of judgment that we get the famous Christmas verse. We wheel it out at Christmas, don't we? Chapter 5, verse 2. You all know it, off by heart. But you, O Bethlehem, shall come forth for me one who will rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient of days. Right in the midst of judgment, God sows the seed of hope through the voice of the prophet. The hope that Micah is bringing, the judgment that he's bringing, is told in the context of the imminent Assyrian invasion, the complete destruction of the ten northern tribes were just 30 years away from these words. So this is all a preamble to the first major catastrophe in the Old Testament. And so a faithful Israelite, though they would be swept away in the coming catastrophe, and, and mark my words, the righteous were swept away in the coming catastrophe as well. Sometimes the righteous are swept up in things that are way beyond our control, outside of our domain of power. But they would have had ultimate hope that God had not abandoned, that God is doing something about this. And so Micah continues his, what I've called, Alex Ferguson hairdryer treatment of the people. Chapter 6 has God asking, Oh, my people! How have I wearied you? How have I made you tired of me? Answer me. Tell me. What's going on, my people? How did it come to this? And this is the backdrop to Micah's burden here. Is the word of the Lord a burden to you, my people? How wonderful, Steve, that... The, the, amazing refreshing way you led our intercessions just now but also lovely to hear that you read through the bible a year every year uh, every year every year so it's wonderful and you, you remind us that we get to the the sticky quagmire of the lists of names in one chronicles one to nine it's difficult to get through it but the gems are there right wade through the hard stuff find the gem and realize that god is speaking to you does the word of god weary you or is it your joy and delight? That's why I asked you to just hold it, to ponder, to wait, to, to consider what we are about to read and to discover, to open up together as a church family. God continues, is it, is it too hard to follow me, 
says God? Is it too demanding? Am I too much of a tyrant? Too much of a bully? Is it simply about all of the offerings and the sacrifices I ask of you? The grain, the wheat, the wine, the whatever, but not the children. No, 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 that's your idolatry that's caused you to offer the fruit of your your bodies for the sin of your soul. God has never required that. Where did that come from? It's almost like God is saying, what is religion anyway? What is this? What is this? What are you here for? To encounter God, I hope. Not just to sing a few songs and catch up with buddies, but to encounter the living God, who is the hope of the world. What is religion? Is it just a placating of the gods? If I just pray a bit more, sing a bit more, if I'm just good a bit more, (laughs) good luck with that, you know... What is religion anyway? What does God require of you, really? What is it he's after? Does he want rams and calves and rivers of oil? Does he want my child? Is this what it takes to keep God happy? This is the context Micah is speaking into. Do the time, pay the tithe, Cross yourself and say amen. That's it. Is it? (laughs) Is God like that? A tyrant who just wants stuff from us? No. In fact, as Spike Milligan has already told us he was ill, God has already also told us what he wants. And he wants what is directly related to his goodness. He doesn't want your wine or your grain or your animals. Do you know what he wants? You. He wants you. He wants your heart. And it will cost you nothing to go to him. But it will cost you everything thereafter. And he's good. And we can trust him in this. So what he wants is directly related to his goodness. Verse 8. He has told you, O man, O mortal. Adama, he has told you, created one, who I made from the dust, who you owe everything to me. You are contingent upon everything else I've made. You are dependent on these things, plus you need me to live. To live is Christ and to die is gain. He's told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord, what does Yahweh require of you but to do justice to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. Justice, kindness, and humility. 
Which one are you good at? For some of you, you're good at all three. But for most of us, mere mortals, there's always something that God is going to be speaking to, right? What is it for you? Do justice. Love kindness. Love that Hebrew word, chesed, the, the steadfast love, the unfailing eternal love of God. The love that sent Christ to the cross in the Father's chesed, his love. Love kindness and walk, walk humbly with your God. So there's an action in the doing, doing justice. There's a will in the loving, loving kindness. And there's a relationship in the walking. You walk with someone that you are related to or in relationship with. You walk together which is a good picture of church life. We walk together through life in this thing we call life, learning from each other how to follow Jesus and undoing our dysfunctions and our sins and our wants and our greeds all the time as we go. That's why there's contention in church life. Pick a church, find a human, ta-da, there you go, right? But God is working these things out of us all the time. Why do you suppose God has told us to do these things? Justice, kindness, humility. Because God in his infinite justice wants us. And I'll say this again. We sang about amazing grace. Some of us don't really understand the power, the depth, the gritty reality of grace. Some of us still don't believe that God really likes us, though that we can tolerate that he loves us. Well, because he's God and he has to do that. But we can't really abide the fact that he really does like our company. This is the whole point of all of this. He really does want your company. He wants to walk with you. That beautiful phrase, walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. That's the beauty of it, relationship with God. And God is infinite justice and inexhaustible in loving kindness. And so in this beauty of scriptures, we see God's word to us. Even in judgment, God is wanting our good, willing our good, our salvation. Even in pain and dysfunction of our lives and the mess and rebellion of sin, God's character is the guarantee of our forgiveness and our salvation in Jesus Christ. John Newton, the famous hymn writer, said, If the Lord be with us, we have no cause of fear. His eye is upon us. His arm is over us. His ear is open to our prayer. His grace is sufficient, and his promise is unchangeable. Hallelujah. I'll get a little hallelujah, okay. But there was a big hallelujah in your heart, I'm sure of that. We cannot walk with God. We cannot claim to walk with God and not display loving kindness. We can't do both. 
God won't allow us to do that for very long at the very least, even if we could try. And this is what God has told us from the very beginning. It's almost like over the gates of heaven when you arrive there, bewildered that you're even there, right? Because you really then understand what grace is. Over the gates of heaven will be the words, I told you so. So Spike Milligan said he was ill. The prophets came to tell us that we are ill. Jesus came to tell us the good news and to administer the medicine of the cross. That's what it took to draw out the poison of sin from us. And it still goes to work today because God's word tells us the truth of things. Thank God for the truth of things. Can you imagine a world without the truth of things, without scripture, without God's word speaking to us? It tells us the truth of things, of the world and of ourselves. And what God doesn't do is shoot us in the woods as though we are a mistake. He relentlessly loves until we are perfectly pardoned. Because that's what he's like. So that our walk with God is nothing but union with Christ. Union with Christ. Let's pray. Father, draw our hearts. Let your word go to work in us, Lord. As we ponder these well-trodden words, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God, a God who bids us to come to him. Lord, thank you that you enjoy our company. Keep on at us, I pray, Lord. You are good, and your mercy endures forever. Amen.